immersive audio podcast in conversation with industry thought leaders, practitioners, artists, academics, and entrepreneurs discussing all aspects of this rapidly evolving industry from art, science, and business to practical insights and project case studies. We aim to inform, educate, explore, and unite the community. Welcome to the Immersive Audio Podcast brought to you by 1618 Digital. Today, our team, Oliver Cadell and Felix Thompson, bring you the highlights from Immersed London. Having already held events in Los Angeles and Montreal, event series headed to Ravensbourne University in Southeast London last weekend. These events have brought together artists, scientists, practitioners, and technologists to explore how deep immersive sound and music are changing society. In this episode, you will hear different short interviews with some of the main speakers and other guests from the day. They give their insights into the power of sound and their thoughts on the event. James Edward Marks, welcome to the Immersive Audio Podcast yet again. Hey, how's it going, Oliver? Good. Very good. Very excited to be here today at the Immersed event. What brings you here today? Uh, so it's very exciting for us as well. It's been a, a, a three-year project, uh, been based at Ravensbourne, and today we are bringing together a, yourself and Subpack, Studio Feed, the Holoportal, uh, SciFi, and all of the kind of lots of people in health, technology, um, and music together. Which is one of the things that you know, as you, you, I know you love in regards to how we can use technology for good. So yeah, so very uh, amazing event to bring to Ravensbourne. Fantastic. I just had a, a pleasure to enjoy a good 15-minute workout with Beat Saber wearing Satpak. That was absolutely amazing. I did try the experience before, and it was the first time I tried it with Satpak. Completely transformed it for me. So much more fun. How are you using uh, Satpak technology across your projects and the projects of your students? Yeah, so for me, I love immersive tech, but sometimes it's about having that extra layer and as we know sound and music are one of the key things of tapping into our feeling of explaining narrative and so also how do we have inclusivity and so with Subpack, we're working very closely uh, with Beat Sabers the founders uh, it's kind of you know the kind of number one kind of breakthrough in VR of the moment but the key is uh, and working with the Deaf Rave Association in regard to like how can we have more inclusivity and use this um, yeah, for good and as we know bringing together immersive tech with music and a new way of playing is sometimes can be really fun but also drive inclusivity. So yeah, so it kind of ticks all our boxes working with Subpack and, um, and, 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 and kind of social good charities. Just for an example, uh, is there any chance you could throw a couple of uh, use cases that you have successfully achieved or perhaps work in progress? Yeah, so one of our new projects is with Magic Leap. So we've done two or three things now. One of them got picked up recently uh, by Magic Leap's marketing team when we did the Extinction Rebellion and we did a V for Vendetta uh, Magic Leap experience for the first demo day. Uh, but our latest one is incorporating Subpack into the experience uh, and it's called the all-seeing eye. Uh, and that eye becomes your eye within a mixed reality world and then with the Subpack, uh, it adds to that extra layer of immersion 
of the kind of you know I'd also we kind of add another layer of ambisonic in, in, in certain events so yeah so that's uh, one of the latest ones the other thing is the Beat Saber collab which you've tried um, and, and I think today as well I think we've got the most amount of sub packs in the UK 70 so that was a lot of jacked in charging and then I think there's going to be a, a gig with Daedalus later where, where we, we, that will probably be probably the most kind of mind-blowing experiment we've done yet with Subpack. Uh, so yeah, so a lot, you know, we're just learning as well. It's uh, all new for us. Amazing. And I just wanted to ask a couple of questions with regards to your involvement with Ravensbourne. I know you've been involved here for uh, a number of years now, coming up to three years, and loads of interesting things came out from here since. And uh, I know you you kind of focus on uh, mixed reality and VR in general and yeah can you just tell us a little bit more about your line of work at Ravensbourne yeah no, so one of the reasons I came to Ravensbourne is the setting uh, it's super futuristic it's an amazing building I think it's been here about you know over 10 years um, but also it was to kind of drive integration between the learning and as there's a lot of hype with all of this immersive technology and a lot of technology that actually maybe isn't always for good and so I don't want to force a new technology onto young people. We want to be here to kind of show and see if it fits with the, their thinking. But then also, how do we drive collaboration? So for example, how do we bring the sound design team together with the fashion students and the animation students? Because all of these skills can't be in isolation. And also the demarcation of thinking what you're going to be maybe not what you're going to be. So we have to kind of put in more resilience into, into to thinking of what is creativity, the blurring of the boundaries between game and film and sound design of, of how it complements uh, yeah, a, a future for young people. What are the flagship faculties here at Ravensbourne? Uh, film production, sound, game development, or is it all kind of all under one umbrella? I would say, I mean, the big one last year was fashion because you had Stella McCartney and then you had the, you know, the wedding dress, you know, so as you see here, Levi's. Uh, I think also Ravensbourne is, you know, very much part of Greenwich, which is, you know, one of the, a borough which has, you know, certain kind of different feelings in the community. So it's also about not just being elitist, it's about bringing in and supporting the community. And of course, we, we've just signed a deal here with um, the Mixed Rally Playground and Double Me with the O2 Telefonica. So this thing, you know, which that we're looking at, everyone's talking about 5G, but you know, we want to see, you know, the benefits of, of, of what that really means as well. Um, yeah. So once again, it's kind of an interesting kind of melting pot, and I think as an older person now, even though I love technology and I love, you know, still going to listen at bands and things, we have to listen to the, what young people are feeling. And for those who can't be here today for whatever reason, how would you uh, convey the, the essence of this event or well, number of events that will be taking place around the globe? So I think that Subpack are in it for the art and for social good is really important. I know Snooks, you know, who you, know, you work very closely with, has put a lot of time and love with his partner's studio feed in regards to getting some of the best alternative thinking artists, creatives, you know, making music from plants. There's nothing better than that, in my opinion, you know, feeling how a plant feels, you know, because everything is connected. So I think, yeah, it's a really mind-blowing day. It's, you know, alternative to a lot of the kind of commercial VR events that everybody's pushing because everybody wants to have a model, everybody wants you to do this thing, when really we're still in a very early experimental stage and we're seeing the consequences of just normal screens. I think, and that last quote you quote, I said, our DNA is in screens and 
no, I, I thought was, that was a silly quote, and actually it's more and more getting like that. And, and, and if you look back to people like Marlon Brando, who originally captured himself as a hologram, saying that in the future, we all actors will be digital. So yeah, and we're starting to see that happen now. So, but we have to start questioning it. That's why things like Tokioki over there, we can all sit around and have a debate because some people, how far do we want to go? Do we, you know, we touch the singularity? Do, do we want to go further? As always, words of wisdom. James Edward Marks, thanks very much. Thanks, Oliver. Yeah, I mean, let's uh, go and see some uh, pure vibrations. Looking forward to that. This is an interview with Dean of Media at Ravensbourne University. Gary, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us what you do? You kind of just did it, but I'll do it again. In fact, not just the Dean, I'm the Executive Dean, if you don't mind, of uh, the Screen School, we're calling it now. Um, so we were known as the School of Media. We just changed it to Screen School. We thought that was more relevant to the kind of courses that we run here. And it's interesting that we're immersed here uh, on this day because actually we have an open day here uh, today for prospective students with their parents. So we're running the th two things side by side. And one of the things that's interesting, I actually like doing these days because it's a real challenge to have. When I did this 10 years ago, you had no parents in the room or one or two if you were lucky. And it was just all prospective students. Now parents have as much investment in their, you know, their children's um, kind of future as the children themselves. So, so it's a real dilemma in terms of like, how do you, number one, persuade them uh, that actually why they should come to places like Ravensbourne, or in this case, actually Ravensbourne. Um, and actually having the, the two days running side by side is perfect for me because I was able to say to them that, you know, the world has changed since I went to art school. If you went to art school when I did in the Stone Age, you know, you came into graphic design and you became a graphic designer. You did fashion, you became a fashion designer. You did film, you made films. But the blurring of the boundaries between all these disciplines now demands a different kind of education. And so what we did at Ravensbourne uh, for the last two years uh, was to, to really start with a blank page again and, and, and realize actually if students are going to get into debt with us, which they do, they better have an amazing experience and, they, and it better be related to a career that they can, you know, uh, nurture towards, um, you know, for their futures. So, so what we did, we had a, uh, we did a range of things. Uh, we spoke to industry, we had industry panel panels, we had education panels, looked at the science of learning, how best to learn in this contemporary culture, using technology, etc. We spoke to colleagues, we did research, um, uh, literature reviews, spoke to people like yourself, how, which direction is the industry going? And then we came up with something which we launched in September called the Mindsets and Skillsets Manifesto. And, and why we're so proud of it and so excited about it is what Ravensbourne has been known for historically is its skill sets. You know, I was at the BBC the other day, and when I walk around those corridors, I've always got somebody tapping me on the shoulder and saying, you're from Ravensbourne, aren't you? I'm an alum, alumnus of, uh, of, of Ravensbourne, you know. And so we, we've always produced graduates who end up in great jobs in the industry. But so that's the, the skill sets, if you like, we've always taken for granted. We're just very good at that. But mindsets and skill sets offer something slightly different alongside that. So I think in terms of the mindsets required to be a successful, creative uh, in, in, in this ever-changing world, uh, you need to develop some stuff around that. It's not just about the craft of your subject. It's things like how to build resilience, for example. You know and I know that when you're out there, it's a tough old world sometimes, and actually you have to be able to dust yourself off if you have a setback, whether you don't get an interview or you don't a pitch that doesn't go well. And so we're trying to build resilience in our students. We're also seeing mindsets as that creative element. We don't just want to be wedded to the technology. We think that creativity that underpins it is absolutely critical. So that's one of the, um, one, one of the mindsets. And also, um, I guess you could sum it up by, by seeing it as a holistic education. So how can we actually develop you know, masterly level graduates in terms of their craft, but also rounded individuals who are confident, confident to talk about their subject, and also critically to have conversations 
what we've just been referring to, between the lines of, of, of different disciplines. You know, so I said to the prospective students upstairs, how do you know that the line now that is between, say, games, um, animation, effects, uh, mixed realities, where is the boundary that says one is one and one is the other? And it seems to me that um, the big change in higher education that we're trying to embrace here is the ability not just to be able to work across disciplines, but certainly to have a conversation across disciplines. So you better be able to um, speak if you're a film producer, you better have some understanding about what it means uh, to, to tune into the technology that is supporting what you're doing, to have conversations with uh, business managers, to have that kind of range, if you like, of skills and abilities in order uh, to have any chance of succeeding. So, so that's kind of what we're about um, and that's what we're doing today. Maybe it's worth saying, I mean, the reason why we love having events like this here is because it demonstrates, if you like, that, that the membrane, if you like, and it should be a membrane, not a gulf, between industry and higher education. I think that something I've seen change, even in the last 12 months in my job, is we used to have to go cap in hand to industry to try and persuade them to kind of get involved with what we're doing. Because I think often, rightly or wrongly, and sometimes rightly, I think industry have seen higher education as kind of ivory tower. You know, that it's uh, not teaching the right subjects, it's not teaching the, the, the depth or maybe the relevancy of the industries that our students want to go into. So I think, I think we've been criticized quite rightly in the past. Um, but I think events like this, what it shows is that the, the kind of the membrane between higher education and um, an industry is, is increasingly getting thinner. And so for the last 12 months, I've really noticed a difference in terms of industry coming to us. Um, you know, so for example, one of the things that is so exciting about Ravensbourne is nearly 40% of our students identify themselves as kind of um, BAME students, ethnic minority, black ethnic uh, minority. Um, and so the industry is coming to us and saying, actually, this is a, that whole, if you like, broad uh, cohort of students that we've missed out on because primarily, you know, we're, we're, we're recruiting white middle class well-off students and graduates. You know, we realize we're missing out on masses of talent. So, so the reason I love events like today is it allows the worlds that, that we all occupy, you know, whether that's like, you know, sharp end of industry, try, trying to make money while also doing interesting things, and us trying to, to segue with you and be able to, uh, to find ways, um, to use my, my, my colleague Lauren Segan's uh, quote, um, we want graduates that will, will row boats, but also rock boats. You know, the industries that our students are going into need to be challenged at times. They need to be disrupted. Um, and we, we want our graduates to be critical engagers with the industries that they want to work in and not just fodder, if you like, for, for those jobs. So I think the dialogue between industry and higher education now, for the first time in my career, and I've been in this for a long time, has come together to be really interesting so we can properly have a conversation about what their needs are in terms of developing the talent pool and, and, and the pipeline that comes from that. And also our ability to actually be lighter in, in terms of tweaking our curriculum when, when technology changes, when the landscape changes, when culture changes. So, so I think you know, we've never been at a more exciting time, while at the same time politically being under huge pressure, of course, you know, to recruit, to, to give our students a great experience and, you know, in a time when there's, there's less funding than there's ever been. So it's, it's, it's challenging, but super exciting. Gary, for those who would like to find out more about Ravensbourne University and your work, what would be the best place to go online and yeah, check it out? So, so I think if you go, go to our website, if you just Google Ravensbourne University London, you'll, you'll find us. Uh, there's a series of open days. We've got one today, as I say, uh, right the way throughout the year, which is a great way uh, to come and just speak to the teachers who will actually be teaching you, give you real insight, as I say, to some of those kind of like 
grey areas if you're not quite sure. For example, we have a new course here called the user, UX UI, user experience. What the heck is that? You know, that didn't exist 10 years ago, uh, and yet the industry is crying out from graduates there. So it's an opportunity to come in, uh, speak, to our, uh, speak to colleagues here. They'll, they'll really be able to unpack the kind of content of the course. And what we're really trying to do here is to actually uh, um, not just say come and do this course, but actually I'd say if I was going to summarize what Ravensbourne is about, it's, it's the ability to have an environment where your talent is going to be nurtured and, uh, and developed. Because to me, that's I've been in this a long time now, and the one thing I've learned is that if you really want to succeed, whether that's in academics or in careers, and both hopefully, is if you can find out what you're great at and tune into that, you're more likely to have a successful career because you'll be passionate about what you're doing. And so that's what Ravensbourne is about, really. Hi, Steve. Hello, Oliver. How you doing? Well, you're not stranger to our podcast. No, I'm going to keep coming back. I'm sure there'll be lots of stuff to talk. Uh, we could go on for hours. I just wanted to thank you for putting such an amazing event. Really exciting, very buzzy, loads of good energy, loads of interesting people. And it's just the beginning of the day. So you're one of the directors behind the event, Immersed event and Immersed project. Um, can you just tell us a little bit more about the project and maybe just run through the key things that are happening here today at Ravensbourne in London? Yeah, sure. So um, Immersed is an event series uh, put on by a Subpax parent company. It's a non-profit company called Studio Feed. So we're here today for the first um, London event uh, at Ravensbourne University. And you know, the whole idea of what we're doing here is to you know, pull in all of the partners that we've worked with across different industries, different fields, you know, whether that's the sort of creative, um, you know, immersive arts, musicians, sound designers, producers, um, and then also, you know, talking and opening up uh, conversations around you know health and wellness um so you know the academic side of stuff and practitioners and the whole thing and i guess the whole uh, common strand throughout all of these event series is you know the immersiveness and, and and the power of of audio and sound you know and the transformative properties of, of audio and sound could you tell us a little bit more about the agenda, the, what, what's happening? There, there are a number of panels, there's uh, live installations, uh, there's mixed reality, there's audio experiences, there's some very esoteric stuff like data generated from plants that creates sound and there's, you know, SAPPAC being featured in all kinds of interesting projects. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, you, you've just seen one of the first panels um, has just finished. So. We, I, myself, I kind of wanted to, to ground, you know, to, to make sure people understand the history of subpack and the history of physical music. So obviously that, uh, that sound system culture, that's something that, you know, is my background even before subpack. So yeah, that panel was on sound system culture with some amazing people. Um, then we've got another panel on immersive arts uh, and we've got some experiences uh, with people like Tom Middleton, um, Ari Aragami um, and uh, Lena Bartra, who's a, a hearing therapist. Um, and that's just kind of like an, an experiment cross-performance, uh, looking into how music and sound can, you know, affect our bodies. Uh, and it's a very, very, very simple, um, lots of areas there, a simple experiment to just show how, you know, the heart rate modulates um, depending on the sound that we experience. And then obviously, like you say, there's subpacks in the mix. So if you add something like a subpack that can make it a lot more physical, um, we'll probably see the results are a lot stronger using a subpack. And then, like you said, we've got um, installations from uh, a guy called Justin Wigan, Internal Garden, so that's using plant biodata to create sound and music. And then we also have uh, something that I've curated and I've also composed something for. We have a listening session, like a chill-out area. Dark, low-level lights, 
um, 30 minute compositions from people like Capsule Network, Ali Wade, um, Alexi Perella, and uh, a mate of mine, more from a dubstep side of things, K-Man the Phantom. So it's 30 minute compositions that are intended to chill you out, to kind of ground you, and obviously with a, a, a big leaning on the, the sub bass and the lower frequencies. And then in, in between all of that, lots of networking and demos from our guys um, over at the Hollow Portal. So that can be, you know, mixed reality, VR, you know, we've got Magic Leap, um, the Looking Glass as well. So yeah, just immersive technologies. And then we also have some great performances from um, Human Instrument, who are a Canadian uh, vocal cymatic acapella choir and uh, Daedalus, who's, who's one of our team members at Subpack doing a, a live ambient, um, spatialized performance. So yeah, that, that's, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on there and I think this was kind of an opportunity for us to pull in all of these ideas, all of these individuals that are doing so many cool things that don't always overlap. But now, you know, in this sort of space, we, we give them that, that sort of space to, to cross over and to meet each other and to network. So yeah, that's, that's kind of the idea of what we're doing here. To me, it certainly seems that this is a very unique event uh, which features audio and is sort of music and sound and haptics-centric, uh, if you will. But what we're observing here today is the true convergence of all kinds of media. Um, it feels special. And I wanted to ask, in your opinion, how important these kind of events are to bringing all these people, all these companies from different pockets of the industry, or different industries, in fact, uh, together to network, to collaborate, to share the ideas and, you know, just kind of share the space and breaking the boundaries between the industries that traditionally did not collaborate. Yeah, you're spot on. That's exactly why we're doing this, you know, and this is something that's sorely needed, in my opinion, you know, and as someone that works in this field yourself, you know, you see all of these types of technologies and types of media um, and, you know, creatives making experiences or whatever. Uh, and I find that there's two types of events, you know, you, you get the sort of quite straight-laced technology-led events where we see new technologies and then you see, you know, the more creative side of things where the technology and the academic side of things are not necessarily tapped into. So the whole idea is to kind of, like you say, bring all of these people together, um, open up conversation and, you know, this, this is just the start, really. You know, I, I think with, with things like this, there's a lot of interesting areas of research and, you know, areas of creation and um, especially where art and science sort of meet. That's what I'm really interested in as an individual anyway. Um, but obviously with Subpack and especially with Studio Feed, giving me the opportunity, you know, to curate this type of event. Um, it's the start of something really special, you know, and I, I'm hoping, it's really nice to hear you say uh, the words that you just said, you know, regarding it being a special event. That That's kind of the whole idea. I wanted to well, we at Studio Feed wanted to create events that we want to go to, you know, things that are going to change the way people think about stuff, you know, where people are going to meet and ideas are going to change and people are going to make new experiences and, you know, it's just the start of things. Um, and I, I noted as well that I didn't, I didn't include a couple of the other uh, partners when I was talking about some of the other installations. We've got some spatial audio guys in there. The sound system from Sova Audio and TI Max, really important. Um, you can't have an immersive event without immersive audio. Um, I think after this event, we're gonna, we'd need to find a better word than immersive. I've, I've got an issue with that um, in some respects, but obviously it's more marketing. But um, yeah, it's a special event, lots of special people meeting each other for the first time and it's going to grow it's going to grow it's a movement it is definitely a movement 
Which kind of leads me to my next question. This is the third event in the series and uh, you've done it in States and I want to find out more whether or not you have ambitions to take it around the globe and are there any key differences between London, America? Can you tell us more about the collaboration um, you had with your international partners as well? Yeah, for sure. Obviously, um, all of these cities have got their own um, creatives, their own you know flavors and their own um, communities in that respect. And what I found quite important, especially you know being uh, a Londoner myself and you know coming from a sound system culture and obviously the history of Subpack and, and therefore you know Studio Feed, which Subpack came from, um, it was really important to cement in people's heads you know the whole concept of physical sound, uh, Subpack and Studio Feed are intrinsically linked to that and especially black music and, and, and the history of that. So there's definitely specific flavors within all of these cities. Um, and, you know, it, in, in my opinion, you know, I, I think the London, the London event, obviously I'm slightly biased, but I, I, I wanted to make sure that all of the communities that I work with were represented within that. And we're going to continue to do that within the other cities. Uh, obviously I can talk more about the London event than the one in Montreal. Um, but you know, you can speak to some of the other directors regarding that, but there definitely is different vibes, different flavors, different types of creative people across all of these cities. And also, you know, in the ones that we, we plan to, to work in, that there'll be more info coming on our website about that, uh, really soon. Um, and again, it's just the start. This is the third in the series. There's plenty of other cities in the world. You know, music is a universal language. The physicality of sound is something that we can all, um, you know, we can all vouch for, you know, and, and how strong it affects can be. Um, so th there's a lot of similar things across all of these cities, but we also have our own little twists of things. So yeah, for sure, man. You know, this, this London event is very, very uh, UK. Um, you know, it's UK vibes, man, especially with the sound system culture stuff. I think that's really important. So yeah, we're all different and there's more to come. I'm looking forward to that. I know you're very busy here today, so I'm going to let you go. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And uh, for anyone who's listening to this podcast, you can check out uh, projectimmerse.org um, for future information of events. Um, we hope to see you down there. Gareth, John, welcome to the podcast. Can you introduce yourself and tell us uh, why you're here today at the Immerse event? Okay, so uh, I'm Gareth Llewellyn. I'm a uh, co-founder of Magic Beans and previously Mixed Immersion. We, John and I, um, have been involved in making 3D audio for a number of years now. I was a pioneer in 3D cinema, mixed the first uh, 3D immersive audio feature with the guys, with the team from Skywalker. Uh, that was a film called Red Tails back in 2010. I think it was, end of 2010. And I went on to remix a whole bunch of Hollywood features in, in, in Oro 3D, helped to develop that format. This is uh, before even Dolby Atmos and DTSX came on the scene and just was really interested in the new experiences you could make. So mixed immersion was a little bit our, um, our look at what you could do with that sort of 3D audio outside of cinema. So you're kind of in some ways limited by what you can do. So we were looking at the kinds of experiences you could build. So you can really make, with a 3D speaker array, you can really make people feel like they're in an environment in the middle of a forest or in the middle of a cinematic scene or in the middle of a piece of music. So mixed immersion, we were really exploring that. We did. Um, we did work with the Philharmonia Orchestra that went to South by Southwest, which is sort of VR, but with a 3D speaker array. Really cool, you felt like stuff was actually, you know, the musicians were there, had that full feeling of uh, uh, the power of the orchestra. Um, and we um, did sound for immersive theater productions like Somni. We put 3D speaker arrays in everywhere. We mixed 
headphone and speaker technology. So you have this sort of um, near field and far field effects and you can move around the environment. And John and I sort of uh, wanted to explore that further and look at what could be done in a sort of mixed reality environment. So audio led, um, audio mapped, uh, to physical spaces, um, and that's what Magic Beans is about. So uh, I'll, I'll maybe pass over to John and he can maybe explain what we're here doing today. So uh, I'm John Olive and uh, I'm co-founder with Gareth of Magic Beans uh, and also previously Mixed Immersion. So uh, my background is, uh, well, I started off my career in classical music recording and post-production and then via a slightly tortuous route finished up in uh, music and sound effects sound design for films so I've worked on some of the uh, big blockbusters like uh, Harry Potter series and uh, The Mummy etc etc and then eventually uh, getting together with Gareth um, got interested in the whole uh, business of uh, immersive audio spatial audio um, I also have a bit of an advantage in that I have a, a qualification in acoustics, so I bring a sort of technical understanding to the party. And um, as Gareth says, what we're interested in now, um, following our previous work with Mixed Immersion, is really exploring how you use sound to, uh, for even audio-only experiences, how you actually present the sound in a way that is hopefully utterly believable um what we're doing here for example today is one of our demo well two of our demos uh first demo we have um some mannequin heads and essentially we're projecting sound onto those heads we have a, an acapella choir and each head represents the voice of that choir and you can move around the uh the demo with complete freedom uh, in six degrees go up and you should hear things as if you were actually standing amongst the group of people singing and the um, other demo we have running is a similar idea, but on a much smaller scale. So we're exploring the idea of, okay, well, we can, we can present things, you know, at a one-to-one -one scale. How about if you wanted to take a big scene and, scene and um, shrink it down to sit on a tabletop? How would that work in terms of exploring that with sound? So those are the two demos we have um, running here today. Yeah, I might just add that these are um, headphone-based experiences and what we're, what we're looking at, these are either headphones or headphone and speakers. So we're trying to get um, as low friction as possible. You know, we're trying to look at, look at things where it's... Um, I think spatial audio has always been seen as a subset or an adjunct to uh, visual VR and AR. And what we're saying is actually there's a whole there's a whole world of sound-led experiences that we're used to, you know, the radio and listen to music on stereo, and actually there's a space for that kind of audio-led experience in spatial audio. So we're looking at, we're examining ways to do that. And one of the things that sort of, one of the limitations of a 3D speaker array is you're always in the center. If you're in, the, if you're in that sort of sweet spot, it's great. But you can't, you know, if you've got an orchestra, you can't walk over and examine the cello. So what we're looking at is that sort of next step, which is we th where we think music and, sorry, sound and cinematic sound and, and, and music and audio in general is, is heading uh, towards this, this, I guess in, in, in an age of spatial computing, stuff is going to be in the world with you. And we look, we're saying, like, well, how does that, how's that going to sound? We're trying to, um, in our own way, improve the acoustic modelling so that there's more of an illusion that this thing is in the space with you, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm, it certainly does. Um, I was wondering if you could unpack the technicalities of the experience a little bit more. So um, there's a bunch of the code that we're writing. So what we found um, initially was if you take sort of standard, even spatial and game engine sound, and put it in the real world, I think when you've got 
VR visuals and or AR visuals, despite how good they are, they're really very, very obviously not real. I'm sorry to say that from VFX people, but they, there's a real disconnect between actual reality and that. So what, when we, in, 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 mix, in this sort of mixed reality audio experience, we're using the actual real physical world. And what we found was the bar for, for what we have to do got really, really high really, really quickly. So um, we've definitely had to look at writing our own sort of looking at improving some of the acoustic modeling and adding some of the information that is lacking so that things can be in the real world with you. We're using, in terms of tracking systems, um, we're sort of agnostic to the tracking system. We just need to know where your head is. We need to know um, something about the room and the objects in the room, or um, we potentially track objects in the room if we have a full interactive experience. So we need to have a, a tracking system and there's a number of different ones for that. We, we tend to pick and choose today. We bought one that we could, you know, we're using a Vive, the lighthouses. Um, but there's all, there's all kinds of systems you can use, and it depends a little bit on the budget and the, the size of the space and number of people. Um, John, do you want to add anything on the technical? Um, I think I'd just add that, so the, 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 the essential principle of, of what we're doing is, yeah, you know, taking, essentially taking the way that, you know, acoustics work in real life, um, in that, you know, objects make sound, um, and the sound that's, so the sound that comes straight out of an object is what we call the direct sound, and you hear that, but in addition to that, you hear um, sounds that have come from that object not straight to your ears, but have bounced off surfaces in the environment around you. And that's what we call the reverberant sound. And it's about treating those two parts of the sound in an appropriate way, especially the direct sound, because um, objects don't emit the sound, sound in the same way in all directions with the, the same properties. And you've really got to think about that. You don't necessarily have to model it um, Perfectly. I mean, that's that's the goal, if at all possible. But you know, within the restrictions of the um, of the horsepower available available on devices, what you have to do is pick and choose the critical things to represent well enough so that your brain is happy to fill in the details. And as as Gareth says, the bar. Once you're dealing with real, you know, real live objects that exist in the physical world. Um, the bar for that is really quite high because um, as soon as you're looking at real objects, your brain has a very good inbuilt model of how it expects them to behave. So that the whole process is about meeting that model so that your brain's happy to go, yep, okay, I'm, I'm willing to buy that as being the actual sound that's coming from that object. This is an interactive experience being rendered live from Unity, if I understand correctly. Um, and you're using trackers from HTC Vive to basically utilize the whole, the whole movement. I'm wondering, what, what's the secret sauce in terms of reverberation, 3D panning, binaural rendering? Uh, are you using any bespoke solutions or using like a third-party commercial technology assembled in a particular way? Um, a certain amount of it is our own. We started, the, you know, our starting point was commercial, you know, stuff when we felt it wasn't cutting the muscle. I think it's absolutely fair that a lot of the commercial stuff, I mean, you know, we all, there's there's a few options. We all know them. There's like the you know, there's Facebook, Oculus, uh, Google Resonance, um, great tools. You know, and um, there's sort of Blue Ripple. There's all these great tools. We try to sort of look at what works best at those, and then add on <laughs> what we think is necessary. We're all about content as well. We're about creating um, creating that content as well, which I think takes a certain knowledge as well. Um, I think there's a lot of great work being done in labs and R&D departments, but I think it also needs practitioners to sort of bring it to life. Um, and, and there's a number of things which I think historically what we're doing now in spatial audio is, is, is come from directly from game engine implementations and they haven't had the same set of problems that we are facing 
trying to put things in the real world. It's, it's a different set of problems they're trying to solve, and they solve them very well. Um, but we're actually saying, well, there's more to this than, it, than, than is currently possible. So we're adding to add, you know, the whole idea, you know, the, sort of the volumetric aspect, the kind of, you know, the, the, the spectral um, kind of um, emission from objects and all that kind of, and the resonance and stuff. There's a whole bunch of stuff which has only been lightly touched upon. And, and I think our argument is, and it's not just us, I think there's going to be plenty of other people developing this sort of technology moving forward, is that we see a future where it's much more necessary to develop this. So we, we in a, because we're trying to push the boundary of the kind of, con, the kind of location-based experiences we're trying to make, we're sort of being forced into developing our, you know, our, ourselves. And we're, we, you know, we, I think we're having some success. And um, you know, I think as this process of going into spatial computing, this process of more and more entertainment and more and more information being presented to you as if it's in the real world with you, this is just going to improve. I think we're at the start of um, a real... If you think about when VFX, there was a sort of point where computer graphics suddenly started to improve and it went exponentially better. There was sort of the early, well, even, be, you know, went from Pong, you know, um, to sort of the early Pixar stuff and the stuff that we have now. It's just, it's incredible, the development. I think we're at the sort of start of that in audio and I think that is going to continue. I think it's an enormous amount of processing to do it properly. So in the, in the first instance, everyone's working towards efficient ways of modeling. But I think further on, it will be much heavy computational uh, resources are given to audio to satisfy this demand. So, yeah. Jackman, thank you very much for your time. I'm very excited. I'm looking forward to go and try the experience. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. My name's Lena Batchfer, and I'm an independent hearing therapist. Okay, so uh, how did you go down that route? How did you end up? becoming a hearing therapist and why I guess. Okay. I, um, I was born with normal hearing. Uh, I had mainstream schooling and access speech um, in all the normal usual ways um, and I was thoroughly into music as well. Um, but by the time I was around seven or eight, uh, my parents noticed that I wasn't hearing them when they would expect me to hear them and it led me being referred to um, a hospital to have my hearing tested and it turned out that I had developed a hearing loss uh, which clearly from the way I was interacting in my earlier years um, was not there from birth but had at some point developed um, in relatively young childhood. Okay. So that was um, sort of your motivation for then becoming a hearing therapist? I think um, for one thing, I really, really loved music. And with my hearing loss, I was still fairly well functioning. And as I got older, uh, it became more apparent to me that a lot of people who lose their hearing don't manage to quite ease into it the way that I may have done because of how young I was. And that, to me, was a hugely motivating um, factor for me because it made me question well what was it that was different for me and what was it that I was doing different that made helped me to navigate the difficulties that other people don't seem to be able to navigate quite so easily and essentially it meant that I wanted to learn whether there was something that I could do that would help others that had experienced similar difficulties to me. So that has always been and still today to this very day remains 
my main motivating factor and also because of the transformative power that I feel music has um, and um, the levels of compassion I have for people who also feel that music is something that isn't featuring as highly as it once used to in their life because of their hearing loss. Cool. Uh, um, uh, what conditions will you treat with music and uh, could you uh, just give me an idea of like, so if, if someone comes in, how you would practically use music to as a, as a form of therapy? Okay, it really depends on what the patient is presenting with. Um, so, if, for example, we're looking at a relatively straightforward issue of someone with an objective hearing loss that is meaning that they're not hearing what they would like to in music and what they're used to, then I would be using music with other supplementary measures to improve the access to that music through other sensory inputs. But if the person has come to me and the overriding complaint, and that might be something that we conclude together, um, that actually this is the priority at the moment. And if that priority is high levels of stress and anxiety, or perhaps sleep disturbance, then I might be using sound therapy as part of a relaxation program for that patient. And again, we will work in unison to work out what is the best form of sound enrichment for that purpose. Everyone has a different palette. Everyone has different access to sound. For, for, for some people, um, some sounds, as Tom was mentioning before, um, are universally acceptable. Um, and nurturing to us, such as ocean sounds. But if, for example, you presented with tinnitus sounds and your tinnitus sounds were ocean sounds, we wouldn't be going along that route. So it's very individual. Okay, so, so therapy is both, both for people who might have listening difficulties and then people that potentially are trying to overcome trauma as well? You've picked up on a really pertinent point because my work is very specialised but it has a broad scope as well um, because quite often someone may present in an audiology service with a number of different things going on for them concurrently and it may not be that the objective hearing loss is the primary focus to start with, but it might be something that we move to after we've looked at some other areas. So for example, if they're very stressed and anxious, that itself can produce physiological change in the body, which means that you may find it even harder to hear than you would with your hearing loss in a natural, relaxed state. You know, you need to be able to focus, you need to be able to attend and block out background noise and focus and think about what the person is saying to you in the context of saying it to you. But if actually you're in an anxious state and your mind is racing and your auditory system is sensitised because your body is geared up to letting more sound in because it thinks there could be some threat around you, then that's going to be counteractive to being able to hear well with your hearing loss. So, so the sound and the, the interventions come in in different areas and that's why it's so important for me to get to know the individual experience that my patient's having and to actually remove the different layers. Seriously, I wish all of my Saturdays were like this one. <laughs>
it's just, I mean, I've always had quite a lateral view about sound and music and the experience of sound and hearing loss because I have hearing loss myself, but I am so into sound and the results that it can produce for me, whether it's through music or through relaxation. So this for me, meeting with other people who feel as passionately as I do and who are able to take it to levels that I can't because I don't have those technical skills that they have and I don't have the engineering background and, and the musical ear that they might have, that to me is the entire reason for this being such a brilliant event. The cross-discipline collaborations over something that is a unique thread that runs between us and that is the fundamentals of music. I'm Justin Wigan, I'm a sound artist and I'm here at Immersed because of my installation, Internal Garden. The installation is an interactive experience which takes biometric signals from plants, turns the signals from plants into a MIDI signal, which then is translated into music, and then the music is turned into a haptic vibration via the subpack. So, in essence, it's a sonic massage from a plant. Okay, that sounds great. Um, so the subpack, subpack is relatively important to the It's integral. Yeah, integral to it because you're feeling the, the frequencies at the same time, so that's where the immersion comes in. Okay, and so could you put through, like, so if I was going to go to music, how would I interact with it? Is, is there different, like, different parts of different sounds? Like, what's going well, it depends what kind of plant you want to connect to. Trees, plants, seaweed, you can do it with anything. Uh, you attach the electrodes, which is connected to a, a, a device called a MIDI sprout, you have a tablet or a phone, which translates that into sound, and you have your backpack. It's uh, mobile, so you can go walk around parks and get sonic massages from trees, from bushes, from the grass. Whatever you put the device on, it will translate the signals that the plant, tree, or flower is sending out, and you will get a massage from whatever you attach it to. It's about reconnecting people with green space because we're, you know, an increasing problem where green space is being uh, robbed, uh, it's being eradicated. There's a huge issue with things like climate change and all these things, but also our technology stops the connection with nature. So I'm a dad, so I've got a son who plays computer games and there's a, a generation of, of children that are more impressed with the graphics on a, a tree in a game than actually looking at an actual tree. Or maybe they can name 15 kinds of trainer brands, but they can't name one kind of plant. So it's about addressing that balance, using technology as a creative uh, in, intervention for getting people back to that point to reconnect with nature and green space, which has health benefits and fun. We could talk a lot about theory of uh, all these kind of big things it's related to, but it actually is just fun as well, which is equally as important. Yeah, what's, what's the response been from kids and adults like today at the event? Uh, they've loved it. They've been quite shocked and surprised that plants have all this hidden information and data inside of them. 
and they love the fact that they can interact with it and they can change the signals because if they touch each other, they add their own electrical impulses to the signal. So it becomes an interspecies kind of uh, experience, which changes the composition of the sound. So yeah, all in all, it's yeah, people have been. Some of them have been a little bit uh, hesitant at first because of the jolts from the sub pack and the, the connection of touching the plant and how interactive it is. But then we, uh, once that is kind of bypassed, then they really connect with it. I mean, a lot of people have been smiling, but a lot have been closing their eyes and listening while they've been touching, which is quite a beautiful thing to see. Yeah, going forward with Internal Garden is to work uh, closely with Subpack and Data Garden, who produce Midi Sprout, to produce a, a domestic version of the kit that people can just get out of the box, plug it straight in, walk in a park, and just connect with nature. My name is Tom Middleton. I'm a sound architect and psychoacoustics researcher. I was brought in to do an immersed panel. We called it Back From The Future. And Ari Peralta from Arigami Multisensory Research Labs came up with this, this concept to sort of help me, if you like, um, create a, 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 a broader conversation around how sound is not just a singular sense. It's part of a multi-sensory world that we're in. And it's so vital that it's now integrated. You know, the, the single sense that has been my discipline and my level of, um, uh, let's say, expertise over more than 25 years, I've got to evolve now. And I've got to accelerate my, my learning, if you like, to embrace all the senses and how I can integrate within multi-sensory world, um, you know, the multi-sensory disciplines. So this panel, Back From The Future, was really to look at where in science fiction we think things are going to be going in terms of sound um, for health, healing, um, sound for uh, changing and modulating mind state, mood, energy. Actually, the point was that a lot of technologies are available right now and we're already using them in a very powerful way. So initially it was to start in a kind of slightly frivolous way. Let's just talk about you know, the future of sound. What, can, what will we be able to do in the future? But actually, we are already doing some things that are so powerful in terms of um, sonic screening. Uh, for health. So sound is now a tool for diagnosing types of cancer. I mean, this is astonishing. We're using sound as a tool to diagnose a disease. Sound for fitness, sound for health. Sound can be utilized literally to modulate how your, your, modulate your physiology, you know, building muscle tone using um, electromagnetic types of um, fitness technology. Now, that's pretty powerful. That, you know, we're flipping sound from just something that we listen to for entertainment into a much more profound tool that can literally 
um, elevate our life experience, help us on a daily basis. Alongside Ari Peralta, brought in Lena Batra, um, who I believe you also spoken with. And I think it was, it was wonderful that Immersed have given us this platform to talk about um, sound within this concept of, uh, concept of multi-sensory engagement and experience, but equally how sound is so relevant for, for someone that, that um, utilizes the technology that's available right now to amplify and augment uh, a disability and actually function perfectly well. And, and in some cases, you know, you sort of think about where technology is going, even accelerate to augment your um, abilities. And part of the, the conversation for me was you know, dreaming about having technology to filter out unhealthy sounds. You know, life's really noisy. I, I would love to be able to have uh, a smart earbud system that removes the frequencies that I find unhealthy and disruptive and stress me out and just help me to be much more calm, focused and um, capable to be productive and, um, and creative. So this panel today was really, I suppose, um, opening up the kind of the, the realms of dreams and fantasy, but actually realizing that dreams and fantasy are currently already a reality and that the trajectory we're going with um, multi-sensory integrates different ways in which sound can pair with haptics, um, gustatory, olfactory, um, visual world, pull them all together and you've got some very interesting new, as they call it, potential sciences that we don't even know about. I mean, ha how can we even possibly comprehend the, the power of pairing different senses together for new purposes? And again, the, the panel really was exploring a little bit of that. Um, equally, we thought it would be nice to show what's happening right now with sound and how it can um, impact and influence your, your own physiology. So I uh, designed a little experiment where we wired up a test guinea pig um, with uh, a pulse rate meter, visualizing on a screen heart rate, and then exposing someone to two different types of soundscape. One soundscape that's intentionally reducing your heart rate using a process of entrainment. And by that, what I mean is we are, let's say, pre-programmed to respond to rhythmic inputs. If the rhythm that we're exposed to is slower than our resting heart rate, eventually we resynchronize and recalibrate with that new tempo. So point in case, if you're in a club and you're listening to 125 beats per minute, your heart rate will increase and you will align and synchronize with that key pulse that you hear, the kick drum in a club, eventually you will synchronize with that and your heart rate will accelerate. So using that similar kind of principle, I deliberately reduced resting heart rate um, in the first instance, just by exposing people to um, a soundscape that had a very safe layer of background stochastic ambience, nature sound. 
It's the perfect sound bed to make you feel safe initially. Along with that, um, some very slow rhythmic entrainment. And as we saw, heart rate reduced quite significantly. Um, you know, a drop in, in, in almost, what do we get? Um, over 15 beats per minute. And, and that is over the space of about uh, five minutes, which is pretty powerful. Conversely, then exposed the, the, the listener using the sub pack to a piece of music that had a slightly faster rhythm. And built into that was what we call um, brythonics, which is a type of sound to breathe to. And that rhythm, obviously you're hearing the tones in the music, would allow you to breathe in and breathe out in time to this new rhythm. And over the course of the next um, five or seven minutes, we witnessed a heart rate accelerating, proving that sound and rhythm can influence your heart rate and therefore can impact on um, a number of different you know, physiological um, activations. Um, powerful stuff. Very powerful stuff. Yeah, it looked, yeah, the, the guy's reaction at the end was, what, what did he say again? <laughs> he said, I'm calm. <laughs> yeah, I think it might be Your, your ears are burning. <laughs> yeah, I think it might be something. <laughs> um, in Hong Kong, you've built this sort yeah. of... Sound sauna. Sound sauna. Could yeah. you talk a bit about the sound sauna? Yeah, sure. Thanks. So, um, within co-working spaces, obviously you're competing with uh, office noise, you're competing with you know, the, uh, the architecture of the, the environment itself um, is not necessarily um, aligned with productivity and creativity and focus. Sometimes it's literally, you know, the acoustics of a space. You're fighting with all of these um, sensory inputs that acoustically are triggering a, uh, a subconscious response. So to have a place where you can actually recalibrate and refocus within co-working I think is quite powerful so we built this this room that's soft safe uses light sound and actually uses scent as well and that combination um, is deliberately designed to reset recalibrate and modulate your mind and mood and energy so from nap so helping you to literally switch off chill out, even get a micro sleep for about 20 minutes to 90 minutes, depending on how long you want to book it in. Um, a meditative experience where you just want to be in a kind of state of um, flow. You want to kind of extend your um, ability to, cognitive ability. Um, another state could be energy. Let's say you're feeling a bit tired in the middle of the afternoon and you need a power up. Well as we saw with a piece of music that I played uh, in the second instance, reactivating and energizing people through entraining people's heart rate up, accelerating it, another very powerful tool. So having a space where you can literally press a button and change your heart rate, change even, you know, re reduction of cortisol, stress hormone, um, it's a very powerful offering, I think. You know, you, you, you could be in the work thinking, oh, I've reached this kind of point of writer's block. Where can I go with this? What can I do next? What can I do next? And actually, having a, an opportunity to go somewhere, press a button, and all you have to do is just switch off and let what you're exposed to 
change your energy and mood and mind state. Um, and you know, being as prescriptive as that, I think, is quite powerful. And um, looking towards Subpack and the event today, how, how important has Subpack been for you with your work? And also, what, what have you thought about the event as a whole? So it's been a great sort of opportunity um, for technology like yours to, um, yeah, to advance. Like, what do you think about it? Immersed is a fantastic opportunity for minds to meet, cr cross disciplines, um, a, a really crucial expansion of a conversation around um, immersive arts. Now, Subpack is a technology that is facilitating producers such as myself, who have an interest in psychoacoustics, a way to literally physically engage with the sound and to feel, you know, am I making a, um, the right decision in the studio here? Is this sound frequency the right sound or frequency to, to help um, deliver an outcome that I want? Can I now measure that? Well, knowing that I've got this haptic engagement with infrasonics, I can then start to explore that. So it's a, actually a scientific uh, tool, not only just you know, for entertainment, but I can pinpoint specific frequencies and you know, hone in on areas of a frequency spectrum that I believe are gonna be really efficacious in delivering an outcome that's designed. So my name is Ari Peralta, and I'm the CEO and founder of Arigami, and we're a multi-sensory research company. And whereabouts are you based? We are based here in London, but we work with uh, university and research partners around the world. Could you say a bit about um, the demonstration and why you thought it was important to come to the event today and be part of the panel? So Subpack really allowed us a platform to discuss sound and health and it's something that is unique to this crowd because it's mostly uh, sound and music. Uh, but it's, it's about extending the conversation, informing others of what science, technology, and design, how they merge together. And we're, we were super excited about creating an interactive experience that wasn't a science lesson, but was a science experience. An experiment that didn't just happen when we plugged somebody in, but the moment you sat there and opened your mind to new ideas, that was already the experiment. So, could you sort of explain a little bit about the logic behind this new therapy? So, you know, nothing's new. <laughs> uh, I don't think ideas are new. I, I, I'd like to think that we're innovators, but we're really not. We recycle ideas and, and we improve upon it with knowledge. Uh, the idea of using sound in therapeutic elements is something that traces back to the early history of humans. And part of what makes us human is our ability to share sound, to communicate through sound. Uh, what makes us different from other animals is our ability to speak, our ability to sing, our ability to harness sound and really uh, develop into whole other ways of communicating. So uh, the idea of us being able to channel new ways of engaging with sound, including therapy, is something we've already done. So I think at the end of our panel, somebody asked a question regarding, you know, how do we take it to the next level? We've already done that. When I asked that question to the audience on music that you use to inspire you or to motivate you, we already know those frequencies work. When we look at the masterpieces of Beethoven, Vivaldi, or any of the great composers, there's also a synchronous uh, common denominator that ties them all together. To be able to be part of a team that's unfolding that, 
that's what's truly exciting. So uh, to answer your question, we're not discovering sound therapy. We're really further developing our understanding of what the potential is with sound therapy. And did you feel the participant who, who uh, you got up on stage, was that sort of what you expected to happen? You know, the beauty of science is that you have these hypothetical statements you're trying to test and yes, you do have certain outcomes that you're expecting based on other knowledge, but you never know. You really never know. And, and one thing that caught me off guard was when others got involved and we really entered into a relaxation state, um, he was dizzy. He literally was light-minded and dizzy and I could feel it. I wasn't dizzy or light-minded, but I could feel his dizziness and light-mindedness. So it's interesting when we compare ourselves to things like insects, like bees, that can, you know, communicate in different ways. We have so much to learn, so much to uncover. So it's just the beginning. Indeed. And so obviously our Subpack or Immerse event today, with your work with Subpack, how important are they? And what do you think about this Immerse event? So first of all, I think leaders of any kind initiate conversation, engage others to participate, to question, to think. So I think uh, Subpack is stepping into a new role where they've created some amazing technology. They're deploying it in different environments. But what's most important to me is that this is part of their agenda. And part of their agenda is sharing. And I think when we talk about the communities that really do flourish, it's the communities that share. It's the communities that bring people together and, and that heighten conversations. So uh, our work with Subpack is only beginning and scratching the surface because I think the appetite is there. I think uh, outside of uh, Subpack per se and more looking at Forisha and some of the other investment companies involved, uh, they're very interested in, in harnessing this technology and developing it and, and again, providing tools and funding where tools and funding are needed, which isn't always in a commercial project, but it's in the foundation elements that allow then 20 commercial projects to succeed and flourish. Oh, and just looking forward uh, to the future, the next 5, 10, 20 years, how excited are you for um, using music as therapy, for using sound as therapy? I'm excited about it today. You know, I, it's funny because I talk so much about the future, but I live in today's world. And what is exciting is for us to be able to communicate outside of a science lesson, which I believe that's what we achieved today, uh, being able to open new minds. You know, the best ideas will not come from us. It will come from all of us together. And when you talk to a music producer, when you talk to a sound psychologist who I met today, when you talk to different people who have carved new careers, um, I think that's what's exciting. And as I said in uh, our panel, I truly believe that the future is not segmented in the sense that it, we're not going to be talking about engineers and, and uh, musicians and artists. It's all the same thing. And to be part of uh, a wave that is starting to capitalize on uh, the idea that you you, myself, anyone around us have the capacity to do all these things, that's what's exciting. That's a very optimistic and good note to end on, so thanks very much for speaking to us today. 
You've been listening to the Immersive Audio Podcast featuring coverage from the Immersed event in London hosted by Studio Feed. This episode was produced by Oliver Cadell and Felix Thompson with the help of Kaylin Tyndall. If you can, head to our page on iTunes and leave us a review and rating. It really helps us out in pushing our show further. The podcast is also available on SoundCloud and Stitcher. Would you like to hear from a particular person, company, or a certain topic from the immersive media industry? Please get in touch at podcast at 1618digital.com, telling us what you want to hear on the Immersive Audio Podcast. Visit 1618digital.com to access the show notes and other episodes. Follow us at 1618digital on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening.